Welcome to Be the Phoenix of Your Own Life, The Feminine Rising. My name is Julie Paulston. I am your host, and I am so absolutely honored that you stopped by. Each week, I'm going to be sharing my own personal journey, and I'm also going to be interviewing some incredible people that will be sharing their journeys as well, in hopes that we can educate, motivate, and inspire you to live the best possible life that you can. So grab your favorite beverage, maybe a snack or two, sit back, relax, and enjoy. Because at the end of the day, this truly is all about you. Oh my gosh, you guys, welcome back to Be the Phoenix of Your Own Life, The Feminine Rising. You know, every week I say that I have like the coolest people on my podcast and I, I, I'm like, oh my God, this is the coolest person. Oh, this is the coolest chick I know. And and it's, it's all the same because I surround myself now with the coolest people. So another amazing uh, woman has graced us with her presence today. Um, she had me on her podcast and it was so much fun that, I mean, how can you not? It was called the Fab Chiefess. How can you not want to be part of that? That just sounds just fantastic to me. So I asked her, I'm like, okay, girl, now you got to return the favor. You got to come on my podcast. So today is the day that I want to welcome Evelyn onto the podcast and I'm going to allow her to introduce herself. And after that, girl, I got a question for you. That's going to kind of shape where we go today. Thank you so much, Julia, for the warm welcome. I'm so excited to be here. Like she said, we've collaborated together before. She's an amazing individual. And just like her, I'm so grateful to be surrounded by these amazing women who empower their community and provide information to help others better their lives. So a little about me, like she mentioned, my brand is the Fab Chief Desk. I myself am a mindset transformation coach. Name is Evelyn Batanzas, and I'm all about informing and empowering women to lead better lives. And the way that I do that is through one-on-one coaching, through group coaching, through self-guided workbooks, and through the information that I share via my social platforms and my free resources. Sweet. And if you guys haven't, um, I once again, I'm going to tell everybody, everything you need to know is going to be in the show notes, which is all the written stuff at the bottom of the, the podcast. I'm still learning all this podcast stuff. Read the damn notes because there's so much information in there. So read the damn notes. So my friend, I have a question for you. So this is Be the Phoenix of Your Own Life, The Feminine Rising. We've all been in the ashes at least once in our lives. So what is a time that you were in the ashes of your life, you were forced to rise and reclaim your divine inner Phoenix, and how has that impacted your life? So I've had several transitions in life, but the one that I will speak to, and and hopefully, you know, it's not too deep of a dive, but it's what kind of stuck out to me, was a situation that happened in my youth with my mother. So I grew up in the ghetto. So we were, you know, a poor family. And my mother was a single mother. And due to that, she relied and depended on men. And she had this one relationship where it was really toxic, really bad. 
it endangered her, endangered me because I would try to protect her as her daughter. And it got to a point where the domestic violence got so bad that he attempted to kill her. Oh my God. So my mother, essentially there was a situation. I was sent to go buy eggs. I come home, there's, you know, ambulance, there's the firefighters. I like push my way into the building. It's like the shining where the hall is just bathed in blood. Oh my God. And they wheeled her out. She was covered into the ambulance. And I thought my mother's dead. Like this, this is, this is my life now. My mother has passed away because this man has essentially killed her. I didn't know at the time that she was just, you know, he basically stabbed her in several areas. She was very close to death, but was not dead. They just didn't want us, her children, uh, to see her. And now I am the oldest of three. And so in that moment, I essentially shut down emotionally because I didn't know how to process the situation. And I couldn't be there for my siblings. They were crying and clinging to me. And I just, I didn't know what to do. So for a period of my life, I did not know how to process emotion. Even when they told me my mother was alive and in the hospital wanted to see me, I refused because to me, she was dead. Like I just had this complete emotional uh, shutdown. And so that caused me to engage in a way that wasn't authentic, that wasn't helping me in my personal relationships. It caused a rift between me and other family members because they didn't understand where I was mentally. So it took a lot of time, it took therapy, it took actually seeing my mother and and realizing that she's alive to then be able to come back to myself and engage. So how old were you when that happened? I was 13. Oh, and when you're 13, that is like, yes, your formative years are when you're, you're younger, but when you really are discovering your femininity and where your role is in the world as a woman, because at 13, that's like when your sexuality is starting. That's when you start discovering that, oh, hey, they're kind of cute. And Mm -hmm. all of the external things start coming in, especially nowadays. But when you were 13 to have that happen to you, it had to have impacted how you have relationships after that. So oh, definitely. Are you, have you ever been married? Do you have kids? So I'm not married and I don't have kids apart from my fur babies. No. Um, I have been engaged twice, but because of, you know, life and differences, we just never went through with it. Uh, it did affect though how I engage in relationships early on. So I developed this complex where one, I didn't want to be in a relationship. I would not commit to people for a very long time. And secondly, I didn't like to be touched. I didn't like affection. I didn't want my personal space invaded. And I think that came from the fact that I saw all of this abuse between the relationships my mother had. And I expected that if I allowed someone close enough, I might let down my defenses and allow them to disrespect me in some way. I think that's a huge thing with women and for the women that are listening. And it's funny because I'm recording another podcast and she's also a domestic violence survivor. And we're going to be talking about that and how it really affects you. I'm a domestic violence survivor. And so there's so many things that happen 
that you don't want to be touched because if I give myself to you and if I allow you in my world, I'm giving you the power to hurt me. Mm-hmm. That's, exactly. that's how I think that you define love at that age is that if I give myself to you or if I allow you in my personal space or if I allow you to touch me, then I'm giving you the power to hurt me. Mm-hmm. And we don't ever want to give someone that quote unquote power, especially when we've seen it abused with our parents. So do you still have your mom? Is she still with us? Yeah, she's still with us. Uh, she's not uh, here, meaning I'm in California and she's in the East Coast in New York. Okay. But we talk practically every day and we oh. had, a, you know, our Mother's Day conversation. I was able to see her open her gifts. So that was great. Uh, I'm really happy that she was able to survive that and get the care that she needed because otherwise she would not be here with me today. Right. So when all of that happened and you disconnected, how old were you when you discovered the fact that, hey, I might need some healing on this? What was it that created, because you shared that you've had quite a few pivotal points in your life. So I'm thinking what happened is you got through and then all of a sudden it's kind of like Ross and and friends pivot. So it's like, what was your next pivot moment that brought you to the journey that you're on now? So obviously we're comprised of our experiences, right? Uh, The one thing that I always knew from childhood because of how I grew up and the various experiences, you know, with domestic violence, with being poor, with the community where we lived is that I wanted different for myself. I didn't want to be a statistic. I didn't want to end up in a domestically abusive relationship. I didn't want to be pregnant at 16 and didn't want to be a college dropout. So I always had the mindset that I wanted to strive for more. It was just a little bit difficult for me. So the next pivot that I had happened when I went to college. No one in my family before me had gone to college. So I'd be the first person who was pursuing this path. And on top of that, I was leaving home, not just a state away. I moved from the East Coast all the way to the West Coast. I knew no one here. I have no family here. So it was a new journey, a new discovery, uh, and essentially a solo path to find myself, to complete my education, and to develop a new inner circle. And it almost gives you, when, when you have the ability to, quote unquote, walk away from a situation, whether you're walking mm-hmm. away from it, whether it's logistically or you're, you know, you're moving across the country, it allows you the rebirth of creating a new identity. Mm-hmm. Is that kind of what you did? Okay, I get to California. I don't want to identify with all the shit that happened back in New York. I don't want to bring that with me. How did you recreate yourself in California? Yeah, that is exactly what happened. I basically split myself, right? The person who I was in the East Coast became this subconscious, you know, identity that I buried very, very deep. And so no one for a very long time, the folks that, you know, I considered my really great friends even knew some of my story because I created this individual who was, you know, just upbeat, chipper, didn't have this trauma that she was carrying, didn't have this experience of domestic violence and and the poverty. It was just, here I am. I am a young 
Latin female in California pursuing, you know, greater education away from home. It, it was like an adventure, right? And that's sort of what I presented to folks. It's, it's I'm having an adventure. Wow. So when you have all these friends, because like I went, my high school is, it's not the same, but you know, I've, I've had quite the adventures in my life. And one of them, like I went to my senior year in high school, I went to a, a private school. And so like, I kind of got to reinvent myself. And it was interesting. I kept who I was up until then separate. How did the two and did they ever cross? Did those paths ever cross? And you felt like, oh shit, they're going to find out who I really am. (laughs) No. And you know why? Because I completely disconnected from everyone in the East Coast with the exception of my immediate family. By, By immediate, I mean my mother and my siblings. That was it. And my mother and siblings don't really travel. Uh, she visited me here in California for like two months, years after I graduated college, because I ended up staying in California. So no one in my inner circle ever got exposed to anything with my past life. My high school friends, that to me, I considered a phase. They were friends in that period in life. But once I came on here, like I said, I cut everyone off. <laughs> Wow. And it, it's, Not the it's, no, but it's like, you know, but here's the thing in our brains. I think we do our, our conscious mind protects us at all costs. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's going to do whatever it takes to stop the pain from leaking into the present. It's like, okay, I'm going to put this wall right here between my present and my past. And I'm going to make sure that nothing gets through that wall. The challenge is, though, is that emotions are fluid and you know that fluidity, it doesn't matter what kind of wall you put up water and and that it's going to go under it, around it, over it. Mm -hmm. What happened when the past started leaking into your present? What happened in your life when that started happening and you figured, oh, shit, Mm -hmm. I got to deal with some of this stuff? Yeah. So I actually had to go through my own uh, path of self-acceptance, right, to really work through some of the trauma. So the way that it manifested for me is, first of all, I'm a Virgo. Okay. And Virgos are known to be perfectionists, to be a little bit less emotional, unless you are very close to us, then we'll kind of open up to you, but it takes time. And so when it comes to emotion, based on how I grew up, um, I would say that I am more unfeeling than most. It, It takes a little bit to bring it out. And so you add on top of that, the fact that I'm able to easily cut off anyone, (laughs) even if your family (laughs) is done, um, it really put a strain on my relationships. Here I am, I'm in the West Coast, I'm all alone. I don't know anyone. I'm trying to build this circle of individuals, but there has to be reciprocity. There has to be give and take. And in order to build a relationship, you have to share Uh, deeper parts of yourself. And so I've been blessed with some amazing friends who are so intuitive, so emotional. One of them is actually a therapist. So (laughs) (laughs) those are always the best ones to have. (laughs) Yes. And she wasn't a therapist, you know, back in the day, she actually hadn't even finished her studies. After years of knowing each other, she did. And I told her, you should do this. And and she did. But through our relationship, she kind of served as a coach or a counselor or a therapist and really helped me to work through some of the things that I was experiencing. So going back to what I was saying, how it manifests, 
I would have these moments. We'd have be having a conversation about a random topic and then something would come up that would relate to something and I would just blurt it out. Not intending to talk about it. It would just come out. And then as it comes out, you're like, oh, here it is. Your <laughs> friends will comment on it. And then that would bring out an outpouring of emotion. So I would cry or, or get deep into the feeling again, not intending for that to happen. Oh, and that's, that's rough. It's, it's like those, you know, when you watch National Geographic and you're watching um, like the, the mud things and the, you know, those little bubbles that come up and then all of a sudden they yeah. go, loop. Mm-hmm. Oh, here it is. Okay. I didn't really mean to say that. Shit. How do I put it back? How do I put it back? <laughs> so how long did it take you to really kind of get to the point where you were able to share enough to where the people in your life now were you, two questions. Were you ever scared that they wouldn't accept you for your past? I wasn't scared that they wouldn't accept me. I was more scared that they wouldn't understand and in not understanding they might segregate themselves from me. If that makes sense. Yep. That they, they look at your past and go, Ooh, okay. And yeah, I don't know if I want to associate. Yeah, I did, I'm trying not to judge you because you're my girl and you're super cool and we go out and we're all that. But ooh, I didn't know about that part of your past. So yeah, that's that's something that can be really scary. Like the the women that are listening now, it's like when you have a past, and we all do. I mean, last time I checked, we weren't born yesterday. We all have a past, and it's there's stories in our past that we're terrified to share. Mm-hmm. But in those stories, you would be surprised at how many people that are in your present have those same things in their past, but they've just never mm-hmm. talked about it either. Yes. So- and I will tell you, it takes years. Like I, it took me years to work through a lot of that stuff. Um, I actually had a breakthrough on something else. Like I want to see almost three years ago. So as recent as that, like, I feel like I'm continuing to develop my relationships with the people that are, that are close to me. That is so cool. And, and to be, and to create your life in California and to be able to say, I have accepted my past. So I, I'm, I'm because of the work you've done and because I, I know who you are and, and I followed you and I watch like your, your TikToks are hysterical. And I see, <laughs> like, I watch these things that you do and I'm like, okay, she's a badass chick. All right, this is good. Do you ever have those moments where you're like, what the hell am I doing? Oh, Do you ever awesome. suffer with impact? Cause I know for me, there's lots of times, like even doing this podcast and doing my coaching and, and with my clients that, that imposter syndrome, like who am I to lead these people? How do you deal with that? I talk about this all the time. And like I tell folks, just because I'm a mindset coach, it does not differentiate me from you in terms of the human experience. I still experience fear. I still experience, you know, lack of consistency. I still experience imposter syndrome. These feelings, they don't just disappear. They're a constant in our life. It's how we manage them that is important. And so for me, I actually, before I created the media, social media presence, I was more brick and mortar face-to-face interaction. But the pandemic forced me to shift to now being more engaged on social platforms. So I had a lot of anxiety around that because I didn't want my brand and my services to be correlated or judged on my appearance or my looks. 
because uh, let's face it, social media can be a little Ooh. bit egotistical when yeah. it comes to how you engage. And if you fit a certain look or a certain mold, I feel that you have more success. So I had a lot of anxiety, a lot of imposter syndrome on it, right? Are folks going to want to engage with me? Like, do I have the look? Uh, are folks going to discriminate or judge me? Because I'm, let's face it, I'm not white. I'm not blonde. And I don't know if you've seen this, Julie, but a lot of coaches, and let's be real, yeah. a lot of coaches tend to fall into that demogra demographic, you know, white, female, usually blonde or brunette. And here I am, I am a Latin woman who's already in a minority. And on top of it, I'm competing with what seems to be these cookie cutter uh, coaches. And I freaking love that you brought that up. Thank you, universe. Uh, I, I interviewed a gal and um, she is black and she is gay and she is a coach and so we talked about her cancer journey and I'm having her come back to talk about this journey because we touched on it how hard it is to not be that quote-unquote cookie cutter cut cookie cutter coach I ugh, words are hard it's Monday um <laughs> it's and it's true because like I'm sitting in front of you as a blonde white woman in the coaching industry. And I think that people definitely gravitate. But I love you because you're authentic. Right? Well, I get, cause I, I, yeah, I am who I am. And that's, I think that that's kind of the, what brought me to use because you so are authentic. And with social media, it gives you the ability to have such a huge reach over what you used to have being brick and mortar. So it's kind of like a, a, a double-edged sword. It allows you to have the reach that you didn't have before, but it also opens you up to those keyboard warriors that are going to come in and, and be mean and, and say and do all those things that, you know, we've all experienced. Mm -hmm. I know that being who you are though, and being that authentic woman brings people to you and probably helps you to bridge the gap. Do you feel like you are kind of like a pioneer in bridging that gap of being a Latina and being a coach and being empowered and being that mindset shifter and empowerer? Do you think that that helps you to bridge the gap? I wouldn't say I'm a pioneer because there are others out there like me who are sharing the message. I think it's more of like, like a chain, right? I'm a link in that chain. And the more that I share, the more that I engage, I can show other people, okay, here's an option. And then for folks that are coming up, you know, younger folks who might engage or see content, they can say, hey, I can do that too, because I'm a different than what you would normally see. And just to kind of preface this, what you see on social media, that is an aspect of me. It is not all that I am. And in this podcast, we're getting a little bit of a deeper dive into, you know, some of my past trauma. But when you look at my social, it's like very happy, very upbeat. It's, it's like, you know, information that I hope positively impacts you. I don't really talk about my trauma. I haven't really dove that deep, but maybe at some point I will. My focus right now, though, is to empower other people and to build community. Because as you know, Julie, I've been saying this for a while, as a coach, what I've seen, there are so many communities that are not positive, that have toxicity, that 
basically have fake empowerment and fake support. And so we've yeah. taken it onto ourselves to build our own community. And I think that, you know, like the, the women who are listening are like, yeah, you know, you get into these groups and you get invited to these groups and you're like, oh, it looks so good. And it's like the shiny object and it looks really good. It's like the, the apple is beautiful. And then you turn it over and it's just rotten in the back. And, <laughs> and uh, I remember I used to be a mortgage underwriter and we sent a appraiser out to appraise this house. And, and the owner was very adamant about that they didn't want the appraiser inside and didn't want them wandering around, so on and so forth. Well, it was because the front of the house looked amazing and the sides of the house looked okay, but nobody had said that there was a house fire. So when the appraiser actually went around, because he's like, oh no, this is my job, went around, it was like it had yeah. there had been a major house fire and they were trying to refinance right. the house, but they were trying to cover up all the ickiness inside. And I think that that happens to groups as well, is like you get somebody that doesn't know how to monitor and be the admin and really keep keep people in check because there's a fine line with wanting people to be able to express themselves and how they feel and what's going on and the I'm on the bitch train and it's a full locomotive and I'm not slowing down at all mm -hmm. so where do you find the biggest impact that you have? Where, where do you love to be the most? Like people can find you. Where's your biggest impact that you think you have? Well, Instagram is definitely my biggest platform. Um, what I've been engaging a, a lot in recently are talks, right? Whether they're talks on IG Live, talks like this on a podcast. You know, I have my own podcast as well, which we talked about earlier. Uh, and I'm really enjoying the speaking engagements because it allows me to talk to a wider audience. Folks who may not be connected with me, who might not have even heard of me, get exposed. I get, you know, to talk on a different level to somebody else's audience, which in turn should, you know, bring more to right. me, give me more exposure, maybe have folks engage with me more so. But all of this, everything that I do, my Instagram, my podcast, my collaborations, it's for one result. And that's to help other people, to help other women specifically, because I feel that even though we're, here we are 2021, you would think we'd be more advanced, you know, in general as a society, but women are still struggling with so many issues. And so I wanted to create this environment where I can inform and elevate women to take charge, embrace more of their power and break away from the stereotypes and the chains that society imposes on us. So ooh, that just dropped something right on into my little pea brain. What is the biggest thing? What is the biggest challenge that women come to you with? Well, it's, it's several things and, and they're all tied together. So I talk a lot about imposter syndrome. I talk a lot about goal setting. Tied to that is clarity consistency, and fear. All of these things are tied together because if you suffer from imposter syndrome and you allow it to dictate how you engage, you give power to the fear. The fear allows you to limit your steps forward. It doesn't provide you with clarity. It brings in judgment because you have fear of either not meeting the expectation, not succeeding, or being judged. And then because you're derailed by fear, you have no consistency with how you move forward. And uh, then if, if you have something you want to do and, and you don't do it, 
you're not setting your goals efficiently. So basically my whole thing is about working with a woman's inner self, her inner perception, her confidence, fear, lack of clarity, consistency, imposter syndrome, all of these things are tied together in either holding us back or pushing us forward. Ah, I love that. Girl, that was so good. It kicked me in the hot flash. I'm like sitting here going, who would just got about a thousand degrees up in here? <laughs> and I, you know what, it's so funny because it is so tied together. Like people will come to you as a coach. Like I had somebody come to me and they're like, okay, so Julie, I was part of your goal setting program. I just, I really, I just need help setting goals. And so then you start talking to them and you ask questions and you're like, okay, well, what about this? Well, I don't want to talk about this. I just want to talk about goals. What we don't realize is that everything is entwined, our self-worth and our self-esteem. And if you have issues with your self-worth, it's going to kick into an imposter syndrome where once you're in imposter syndrome, then it's really hard to set goals because you will cut yourself short because you worry about, I call it the, you take the pill of OPO every single morning, other people's opinions. Like you just pop yes. that pill and you're so worried about it. So I agree. It kind of, it all goes together and it all becomes like this swirling vortex of doom that we create in our lives. Mm -hmm. So how long have you been a coach? So I've been coaching unofficially because before I started my coaching journey, I actually had resistance to it. I didn't think it would be a path that I would take. Um, so my friends and family and coworkers say, you know, you should be a coach or a counselor or a therapist or a psychologist. And I was like, no, I'm just really good at giving advice. Like right. that was my whole thing. <laughs> and, that was so you know, me. Had, That's so me. Yeah. And I have, I've had the experiences where I could be, you know, in a public place, say Target, for example, and I'll just say hi to someone, you know, just, just be nice courtesy. And it will spar this whole conversation where I'm getting all these intimate details that I did not ask for. <laughs> and I'm just like, are you sure that you want to share all of this with a random stranger? <laughs> right. Uh, girl, I did not need to know all of that. We're just buying exactly. lipstick. So after, you know, some time of hearing this, and realizing that I had been engaging as a pseudo coach for a long time, seven years, a little over seven years. Uh, but it wasn't until two years ago that I got certified and accredited. So officially coaching for about two and a half years, I would say. That's awesome. Yeah, I think uh, it's so funny because I, uh, I have been unofficially coaching for at least 15 because as a hairstylist, mm -hmm. oh my God, you, yeah. <laughs> you are the cheapest therapist that most people will ever go to because <laughs> you just charge for a highlight and you hear the whole highlight of their whole story. Mm -hmm. But I think that, I think it's so necessary though. I think that being that light and being that example is so important what is one thing that you, like your biggest message that you want people to know? You have to embrace your power, okay? As women, we are constantly told we have to fit this mold, look this way, behave this way, not compete with the opposite gender, not compete with men, and know our place. You know, even when it comes to motherhood and family, there is an expectation. And so women will diminish themselves and give away that power 
in order to satisfy everyone else's opinion, everyone else's expectation, what society places on us. And it shouldn't be that way. We have power. We give life. Like there's so much that we provide just with our existence. And somehow we allow others to take our power from us. Oh my God, I love that. I'm like, yes. I, and it's so funny because you and I, when we, when we first met, I was like, oh, we're so aligned with how we feel because it's yes. so true from, and, and I've said, I think, I don't know if I said this on your podcast or if I shared it the other day, you know, when we're little as women and people ask me why I focus with women, it's because we are the birthers, we're the nurturers. And if we can heal the divine feminine, then the divine masculine just falls right in line because that's everything comes from the divine feminine. It's the birth mm -hmm. of everything. And I think as children, it's interesting. And, and this is example I use a lot. When you were a little girl, the first thing that somebody did was hand you a doll and say, here, take care of the baby. Or they gave yes. you a stuffed animal, take care of the baby, take care of this. And, you know, as you grew up, you were responsible for your little brothers and little sisters. And so as little girls and as teenagers, all of a sudden we're taught to take care of everybody outside of us. Mm -hmm. However, nobody ever teaches us how to take care of the inside of us. Yes, that is a great point that you make uh, about getting the doll as a kid and taking care of the doll or your toys are like a kitchen. Oh, here, learn how to cook on this like fake, like everything is, is pushed on you with the intent of making you a caregiver, of making you a nurturer, but not in a way where you provide that to yourself. It's all external to other people. And so on that note of, you know, giving up our power, we're also not caring for ourselves authentically because we're, we're giving that energy just to the external, not to the internal. So what are some of your favorite, here we go. What are your favorite? I'm a huge proponent of self-care and soul care. And I think there's a big difference. People are like, oh, it's the same thing. It's not the same thing. Self-care mm -hmm. is taking care of the body. That's the self. And the soul care is really nourishing the mind and the spirit. So what are some things that you share with your clients as far as not only self-care, but soul care for both? Yes. So depending on the individual and, and you can look at the soul as, you know, it's spiritual. It's a spiritual connection that you have, whether it's a God in some religion or a practice, you know, we all have some spirituality, even if you're an, an atheist, you have some form of spirituality, right? So there's two things. We have the physical care, which you mentioned, which is the external, right? You definitely want to take time to bake in some downtime, bake in authentic care, because, okay, one of the things I love to do is I love bubble baths. I love to put my bath bomb, get in there, have the lighting, have my glass of wine, I have a book, but I make sure that when I'm doing that, I am present, yeah. present in the moment, aware, not on my phone, scrolling through social media, because in that case, your mind isn't in what you're doing. You're not allowing yourself that downtime. So that's one, you wanna have that external self-care of your physical, which ties into your mental. Yeah. And then if it comes to your soul, your spirituality, I love meditation. I know meditation can be very difficult when you're first starting out, but it doesn't have to be a whole ordeal. Even something like yoga. Yoga is a form of meditation, a mm -hmm. form of spirituality. 
So you have to first understand what the options are out there that are available to you to make that spirituality connection to nurture your inner and then put it into practice, even if it's, you know, five minutes and then build from there. Yeah, it always it always amazes me and amuses me when people are like, well, Julie, I don't have time to meditate. All right. Well, let's let's go through your day. And it doesn't have to be, it's not like you're going to be sitting on a pad in your room with going home for for an hour. That's not necessarily if you, the other thing I always tell people, if you're struggling with meditation, get a coloring book and some color crayons or colored pencils or pens, Mm -hmm. because what you just meditation is strictly getting your conscious mind to look at it going, well, this is boring. I'm going to go do something else. So it releases Mm -hmm. your subconscious mind to come up and that's where your ideas come from. So lots of times if I'm struggling with meditation, I'll go start coloring or -hmm. I'll start journaling. And I do a practice where I set a timer for 15 minutes. Once the pen hits the paper, I start the timer and I don't lift the pen off of the paper until that 15 minutes is over with. And there's lots of times where I'm just writing, this is stupid. This is bullshit. I don't want to do this. I'll scribble. And then somewhere in there, something happens. And all of a sudden I just start writing. And it is, it's almost the same as for me sitting in silence, because if I meditate, I got to have somebody telling me, remember to breathe, come back to self, come back to center. And you're right. It's a, it's, a meditation practice. It's not meditation perfection. Nobody's perfect. Exactly. That's the problem right there. People get so stuck on making it perfect on ensuring yeah. that, that they, you know, dot their eyes, cross their T's and, and it's perfection is a myth. It does not exist just by doing something, starting the action, you're already way ahead. And if you focus on the inner judgment on perfecting it, you get into the state of paralysis and that's the issue. Yeah. And, and people are like, oh, I shouldn't be thinking a thought. Oh, but I'm thinking a thought about the thought that I'm not supposed to be thinking. And, and they Mm -hmm. get so panicky. It's just, it's really just about having time for yourself. I love that you take bubble baths. I personally, I can't do, I can't do bubble baths. I've never, I've never, I would love to be that person. Like, (laughs) <laughs> I just, I want to be the bubble bath person. And I just, it just isn't for me, for me, my self-care is, and you see it all the time is, is the beach. So yeah. that's, that that's my self-care and, and going to the gym. Those are important to me. So it's to me, I think that what you're doing, Ellen is so important. And just, I had a question, how did you come up with the name for your business? <laughs> So I wanted it to, to sort of, and it can be hard at first to, to see that. Uh, I wanted to have a name that denoted some form of power, like boss or CEO, but all the CEO names and all the boss titles were taken. And so I was like, <laughs> okay, what's another word for CEO that is still feminine? And right. I was like, you know what? I'm all about nature as well and that energy. So I thought chieftain. And now the well, chieftain is masculine. So I was like, what about chief desk? Yes. And then, you know, I think I'm fabulous. So I was like the fab chief desk. <laughs> I love it. Uh, and I think that everybody is, can be the, that beautiful, powerful woman in their life. I think that it's exactly. so important that, you know, I talk about it all the time, reclaiming that divine inner Phoenix. And, and that's a powerful thing to be able to, 
look at yourself and just know that you're so worthy as you're sitting yeah. because society tells us, like you said, we need to be this way, do this thing to fit into this little tiny box. At the end of the day, my thought process is fuck the box. Who needs a box? Mm-hmm. Yes. Forget the I, box. <laughs> I, I don't want a box around me. I want to be able to explore and to, and to learn and to grow dude, I could talk to you for hours. Oh <laughs> so, yeah. I'm like, I'm like, dang, has it already been that long? Holy shit. Okay. So I have, before we go, I need you to tell everybody, how can they find you? It's going to be in the show notes. People read the fucking notes. Just go to the notes, <laughs> read the notes. The links are going to be in the notes, but seriously, how do people find you? Yeah. So and you can see in the video too, my tag is at the fab cheap desk that's my instagram i have a facebook fab dot cheap desk the only one that's different because facebook yeah. <laughs> i have a facebook. youtube i have a podcast and my website www.thefabcheapdesk which links to all of my platforms perfect awesome that is so cool so i have and y- y'all i love collaboration and and i know that evelyn's the same way is that some people might be listening going, oh yeah, Julie, you're great, whatever. But then they're like, oh, I really need to work with her. So if you hear something in this podcast and you want to work with her, please reach out to her because I will tell you, she's amazing to work with. She's beautiful. Um, she's one of the funniest and most caring coaches that I have run across. So you need to connect with her if you feel called to. And, uh, all the, like I said, all the, all the stuff will be in the notes. So I have a question for you. Mm -hmm. So there might be somebody listening that is like, okay, well, this is all well and good, but I'm, I'm stuck in the ashes. I'm sitting in the shit right now and nothing makes sense in my life. What would you say to the person who is just sitting in the shit and scared and doesn't know what to do? What's the first thing they could do? Find your strength. And what I mean by that, think of your why. Your why, what motivates you to move forward, what inspires you, what allows you to get up every day and take a breath, even when life is shitty, even when you feel like everything is against you, that why is what's going to carry you forward, what's going to build you and allow you to take the steps, even as scary as they are, to get to where you want to be. So ground yourself in your why. Oh, I love it. And it's so funny because each interview that I do, I ask this question and I get so many different answers and I'm like, okay, I got to write this down. I got to write this down because (laughs) this is so good because I, because we forget, Mm -hmm. like we forget that focusing on your why is why did you get up this morning? It's not because Mm -hmm. you were breathing and you opened your eyes. Yeah, that's what happened. But why are you getting up? What is it that drives you every Mm -hmm. day? And if you forget it, if you forget your why, that's when meditation and getting quiet Mm -hmm. and self-care and soul care is so important because it'll it'll remind you of your why yes we all we're all human we all have those moments where we can go into a depressive state for weeks at a time but there's always this little inherent why that we carry even in that state that will eventually allow you to get out of it and continue moving forward yeah it's that spark is as long as you have that spark of hope that's all you need this little tiny piece mm-hmm. of hope and you'll get it. Yes. 
Oh my gosh, I am so grateful for you. Thank you so much for spending this time with me and for the people that are listening. I know that they had to get something out of this. And feel free if you heard this or like, oh my gosh, my girlfriend needs to hear this or my mom needs to hear this. Please feel free to rate it, subscribe it and share it. Do all of the (laughs) things that we do with the things. So yeah, put it out there and go follow her on her podcast. She has some amazing guests. They're so much fun and you can learn so, so much from Evelyn. So thank you so much for being here, my friend. I appreciate you. I'm so grateful for you. And for everybody else, this is Wednesday. You know what that means. It's Wednesday and we get a slide on into the weekend. So make it absolutely magical. And we will talk to you next week. Thank you, you, Julie. You're welcome. Thank you so much for spending your time with me. I appreciate you. And remember, you are loved, you are treasured, you are adored, you are worthy, and you are so more than enough. I hope that you were inspired. And if you were, please feel free to download, share, and leave a comment. I would be eternally grateful. Thank you so much and have an absolutely magical day.